to Fantastic Women and Where to Find Them podcast. Uh, this is Priscilla. I am here with Tracy. Hi, Tracy. Hi, everyone. And we are ready to start a new episode. And if you haven't listened to us, um, if you're listening to us actually for the first time, uh, Trey, why don't you give us like an uh, intro of how the podcast works? So two women, lots of chats and lots of drinks, um, yes. bringing other women to the table. I don't. Pris going to bring a woman. I'm going to bring a woman. I don't know who Pris has brought. She doesn't know who I've brought. Yes. So Pris will introduce her woman today. And Pris was also on cocktail duty. So the cocktail is related to her yes. woman in some way. And it's a very refreshing cocktail. So I'm very excited. I know. Uh, I shared this recipe to Trey early this week, I think on Wednesday, and <laughs> we were having some like technical problems knowing how where like and what time to put the ingredients. But anyway, uh, I was yeah, I was really happy and pleasantly surprised how refreshing the cocktail is, especially that right now, although we're in Ireland, uh, the weather might defer to think that we're in summer, but I think it's a really mm. refreshing cocktail. So this cocktail is actually named Off the Wall, and it's in honor to the Stone, uh, Stonewall um, Inn Bar. That if you know about it, this stone, the Stonewall Inn Bar, it's in Greenwich Village in New York City. And it was basically the epicenter of the start of the gay, lesbian, or actually the LGBTQI movement that was back in 1969. So before I give a bit more of, his, um, of history about the cocktail, I'm just gonna uh, say what's in the ingredients. So for this cocktail, it has vodka, it has pomegranate juice, simple syrup that we finally know how to make simple mm. syrup, right? So I'm happy uh, for that. So we have simple syrup, lime juice, and then fresh mint leaves and ginger. Oh, I forgot about the grinder shakes, uh, shakes as well for the boy peppercorn that I didn't put on mine. Yeah, the peppercorn is adding so much flavor. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, they look so nice. Yeah, uh, it, it's actually yeah pleasingly to look. It looks very refreshing, and I'm really happy I chose this cocktail because um, right now, at the time that we are recording this episode, there are a lot of things happening in the world, specifically in the United States with the Black Lives Matter movement, and which is basically a civil rights movement for everyone. And things that, as Trey knows, I know, things that are happening right now are horrific, are very hopeful at the same time, but yet horrific because... Um, police brutality it's still at its highest in there uh they have a very incompetent president running the country and it is if i turn it to a positive thing it is really hopeful what you know the protesters are doing a lot of things are changing um with you know with what happened unfortunately with the life of george floyd Breonna taylor among many others so uh really? they are definitely reforms that are uh, happening so I think it's important to address that. But at the same time, I also want to honor, uh, because as well, we are in June. At the time that we're recording this episode, uh, we're in June, which is uh, Pride Month. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to bring uh, a woman to the table that in history, uh, she did uh, quite something in the moment. And she basically was one of the pioneers of the LGBTQI movement that is happening right now. And I am going to talk about Ernestine Eckstein. Oh, cool. So if you don't know who Ernestine Eckstein means, actually, uh, who, uh, sorry, who she is, her name is Ernestine um, 
Eckstein, but that was actually the the pseudonym or the pseudonym pseudonym pseudonym. I can never pronounce that word, but anyway, her pseudo uh, pseudonym uh, was Ernestine Eckstein, but her real name was Ernestine Delois Eppinger, and basically at that time the reason why they needed to have um, uh, different names is because when they protest or when they publicly talk about you know. In her case, lesbian rights or gay rights, um, they couldn't, you know, risk the whatever jobs they had at the time. And at the time when she was mean, being more publicly open or speaking about her opinions and what she fought for, she needed to disguise her real name. So she went by Ernestine Eckstein. So Ernestine Eckstein was born in April 23rd, 1945, 41, sorry. And she was an African-American woman who helped steer the United States lesbian and gay rights movement during the 1960s. So I know I, me I mentioned when we were talking about the cocktail, I mentioned the Stonewall, which I'm going to talk briefly about that as well. Uh, the Stonewall rights movement were the epicenter of what gay rights or LGBTQI rights mean right now at the time. So uh, what she did at the time was pre-Stonewall. So even historians talk about Stonewall as the first thing or the first riots for yeah. or the rights of them. But she was pre uh, she predated that time because when she actually moved to she's actually she's originally from she was originally from Indiana and then she moved uh, to New York in nine in the early 1960s, I believe 1963 at the age of 22. And I was reading a lot of there's actually an interview that I was recording at that time. Uh, that had the transcript of the interview. And when they were talking with her about what meant for her to be lesbian, she didn't know what it was. Like she, after she graduated from college, she uh, went to New York and that's when the when she heard for the first time what lesbian or gay meant. And mad, she, it, it's mad. Like that's exactly. the 60s. Like. Exactly, exactly. And she was only 22. And when they were asking her, do you know what that means? Did you know that you were lesbian? And she will say, no, I I knew I I was attracted sexually and emotionally to women, but I never do did anything about it. Like, mm. and and she even uh, acknowledged that she was smart. She was a college educated woman, bright young woman, and she never knew about that because in the neighborhood or not in the neighborhood itself, but in the society or the culture that she was brought upon, it wasn't a word or something that they will you know describe. And she didn't know any about this. And mm. it's kind of sad to say that there are many people out there that they're almost the same. Like they. I heard about that, but they are afraid to speak out, even to yeah. this day, 2020. So imagine being, and she says that her, uh, she said that herself, like a woman of color in the 60s. Uh, she was brought upon with the civil rights uh, African American movement at that time, yeah. and she was so drawn to that because a, a thing that I believe it was so powerful, even to that at that time when she was being interviewed, from what I read in the transcripts, she said, "I." really want I really believe that the civil the, the civil rights movement that is happening in the 60s with the gay rights should be married because yeah it's the same we're fighting for unity we're fighting for civil rights to anybody no matter your color your matter your culture your religion your sexual orientation you we should all be protected and she actually wanted to you know bring that to the table and the, the reason why I was also mentioning that she was a pioneer to that time is because 1960s like I said it was the civil rights time civil what rights a time Priscilla like what a time exactly. to be, you know for Ernestine to be you know in college days in New York that kind of thing 
Absolutely. And also at the same time, she, um, you know, it's going back to, to this day, it's happening. A lot of even... It's happening now. Yeah, we're in that time now. Exactly. It's a catalyst for change. Absolutely. And I think it, 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 it's a matter of time that it happened again. Mm. And she, back in the time, she was saying, we should all fight for the same thing. We should fight for freedom. We should fight for our rights. So the reason why I was saying that she was a pioneer of of that time is because she was a civil civil rights activist at the age of 22 in her early 20s but at the same time she was the first um black person to be picketing in the white house because there are if you google her uh there are a few pictures that you see um an african-american woman young woman with very stylish uh cat eye uh white frame uh, sunglasses and she is at the at the White House, just with uh, with the sign uh, and just basically picketing, and I thought that was amazing. And a lot of people, from what I read as well, they were saying um, she was actually. I'm just going to read a bit of what an interviewer was saying, and this was again before uh, pre Stonewall, and this is a recording from nine. I think they're very. I think they're saying between 1988 and 1989. They were just describing her as well. This interviewer, she was. Uh, he was describing her as. Here was this photograph of a protest in front of the White House, an African-American woman, the only one visible in this photo. And where there were, you know, there were only like a dozen people in the protest. And there she was carrying a sign and just trying to fight for the same rights as everybody. And I thought that was very powerful. And the other thing, um, historians, from what I read in here, from uh, this couple of interviews, is that uh, a lot of people, no matter what race you were, a lot of people who were, you know, identified in the LGBTQI community at that time, um, they they were afraid to speak up. They were so yeah. afraid. And I don't blame them. I don't blame them. However, she will say, I think uh, it, it's something very powerful to do right now. I uh, She really believed that. She really believed that this is the moment to fight. This is the moment to speak out, not to be afraid. And yeah. she knew the repercussions because even in that interview, she will say, "Oh, it's not going to be easy." And she said that if it if the mo the movement needs martyrs, so be it, because this is something that needs to transgress. This is something that needs to happen. And oh my and god, she was only in her twenties. She yeah. was uh she was literally in her twenties, and she was believing in all this intersectional fight for everyone. The community, it's, like it exactly, been, like gender, race, class, sexual orientation, everything. It was, I'd say, that was a, a pot at the time that was ready to boil. Yeah, and absolutely. she believed in it. She believed in everyone coming together. That's wonderful. She did, and uh, just to read a bit of her, um, uh, what she said it was like. I think it takes a lot of courage, and I. This is part of the interview. She says, "I think it takes a lot of courage, and I think a lot of people who do it will suffer because of it. Because I think any movement needs a certain number of courageous martyrs, you know, and these." no uh, and there's no getting around it you know that's really the only thing that can be done you have to come out and be strong enough to accept whatever consequences come and this is again her talking about that and i think it's truly wonderful because she she never thought there was another and uh, in, in the other interview she uh he, she did for a magazine she said she never thought there was anything wrong with her but she didn't know more about it she knew yeah. i'm attracted to women I don't see why it's the problem. I don't see why men cannot be attracted to men. Uh, why can, and, and she said, I always believe that the lo love transcends any kind of label, black, white, woman, man. 
So I didn't think it was so natural for me to have re reactions to other women. Why? Why not? Yeah. I think from what I read so far about her is that her life changed a lot when she was in New York because even in her early early twenties, she um, she was a co not co-founder, but she was a co-president of the DOB or what it's called, the Daughters of Belitis. Uh, Daughters of Belitis, uh, for people who don't know, it was basically an, um, a lesbian organization that it was basically it's called Daughter of Belitis, also called the DOB or the Daughters, was the first lesbian civil and political rights organization in the United States. And this one was found actually in San Francisco, 1955. But she was one of the ones, the few who brought it to New York City at the time. And I think from what I read as well about uh, the DOB, they needed a place where lesbians, uh, for women, uh, you know, to feel safe and talk about their problems and their issues. And that's why she wanted to bring that to New York. And again, this was in the 60s. In the 1970s, she became involved in the Black Feminist Movement. And I think it was called the organization Black Women Organized for Action, or BWOA. And back if you read history, I think all of these movements that happened, say, in this country in America, were so important because people started to realize there are people out there fighting for what I am. Like, say, someone, say, a, a girl at that time she, who maybe identifies as from the other gender or uh, a woman who is attracted to other women and sees there, here there are people from another completely different race, like, fighting for me. Um, I think that's, it gives a precedent. That yeah. There are people out there who believe uh, they may they might not be in the same position like you are, but they yeah. are fighting for you as well. Yeah. And I think that's truly powerful. And I'm just happy I wanted to bring her to the table because um, not all, I don't think from what I read, and especially now that I'm very happy a lot of people, especially in social media, they are sharing stories from the past present you know kind of like what we're doing from people of color queer people people who who are part of the you know lgbtqi uh, community who are people that to this day unfortunately they're still being harassed they're still being yes. murdered that we just so these things are still still happening uh, a very famous one back in the day is marsha p johnson Another woman that I just discovered uh, recently, and I, I think I have seen her picture before, especially during the time in Pride Month. They, they they tend to show you those stories as well to remember. From what, what basically from what I've seen so far, there are people who are upset about it because they're saying there here are there all these organizations, all these brands that they're profiting in Pride Month to yeah. show our stories. But what happened with the rest of the the year? Yeah, what happened yeah. then. Oh, Pride Parade is where you have like the likes of like big corporations, you know, yeah. uh, having floats in the parade or like corporations that are like have the rainbow flag and they 100 yeah. percent discriminate in their exactly. employment practices all year round. Yeah. Like it's it, you're right that they just jump on the bandwagon and just do it for it, for, it makes like, me sad. No, absolutely. And I uh, I was in the Pride Parade last uh, year. In here in Dublin, I was far. I was I was in that parade with the company I was working at the time, and here I saw all these companies that you know with you know emblazoned with the pride flag, with people shouting, people like participating. Looks like a party. It looks amazing. But then I was thinking, you know, it's great. It's great to see those companies. But then you think, how how are you invested in that? Like, yeah, sure. Is it a trope? Is it just like, just to put it, uh, you know, put the pin in June and then that's it? 
This is yeah. not Christmas. You know, it's not Christmas. It's something that you, you you don't only decorate it once a year. You should be celebrated. You should like protect it. And it's something that I think with this movement that is happening, it should change because everybody should be like like Ernestine said, everybody should be protected. Everybody should be, uh, you know, entitled to love whoever you want to love. And mm. I wanted to, you know, find more about her. Unfortunately, I was a bit disappointed. Maybe I didn't, I didn't do my search deep enough, but I try. And I just think I just wanted to, from what I read, to bring her to the table because I think to her age, it was amazing what she did. She was part of, she did interviews with The Ladder, which was the first lesbian magazine at that time. She was part of The Daughter of Belida. She was part of CORE. She was part of the Black Women Organized for Action. And she was only in her 20s. And a thing I also read is that she left the movement. She was still, you know, participating in the civil rights movement. But she left the movement, I think, for the DOB because she thought they were not fighting enough. Aggressively is the word that she was using. Um, because it said we should encompass what the civil rights movement is doing and married to the LGBTQ. Well, at that time, it wasn't. Uh, I don't think it was called LGBTQ2Y, but gay, gays right movement. That's what she believed. We should fight the same way because we are in the same struggle. We are in the same fight. So she was a very open-minded, uh, bright woman at that time. So did she... I assume she's not still alive. Sorry. I, no. Like, I was she, trying to calculate if she was in her no, 20s and no, no. the 60s. She passed away July 15, 1992 for unknown reasons. Oh, that's, really? that's what I'm saying. I couldn't find more information other than she was she passed uh, away in July 19, July 15, 1992. So, so, so after she took part in those huge demonstrations and did what she had to do at the time, she then let other people come after her and, you know, protest and bring the movement forward even more. Jesus, well done. Like like yeah. a chapter in time, a moment in time. Absolutely. She died at 51 from what I see. Yeah, she died at 51 in 1992 of known causes, leaving behind a brilliant smile, people who love her and a history making display of courage. No one should ever forget. Um, Sorry, just to fact check about what I said about Daughters of Belitis. She was selected vice president of the New York chapter of the Daughters of Belitis, where she encouraged greater participation in the movement's growing militancy. But within a couple of years, she left the group and moved to California. Yeah. That's basically wow. how I would uh, finish that chapter with her. But, uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to, you know, shed some life about her her story, her fight, uh, what she believed. It's just that I keep saying it, but she was so young and she had all those beliefs. And I think um, a lot of people after, they, you know, they leave college, you are hopeful, you're bright-eyed, you're bright-minded. Yeah. And- want to fight for you i want to believe that that's you know because we're i'm certainly not in that group group age anymore but it's something that we're leaving another generation now who has a lot of problems of political rights civil rights environment uh, environmental rights and it's it's not going to be better but i'm just but it could be hopeful if yeah you know, she's very, that's a very inspiring story yeah um and also i wanted to bring a bit of you know with the drink uh although this this drink is related to stonewall and she predated stonewall it's all about the civil rights that you know 
updated at that time, uh, Marsha P. Johnson. I might, I, I think I want to talk to her more in depth in another episode because she, her life at, 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 when she's when she was very young, she she was stigmatized and she was very the way that people were describing her. One of her friends, um, you know, from what I read as well, she was so hopeful. She was still a believer of you know of her religion. She will pray for you know people who will friends who will have suffered or passed away, and she was a very hopeful, hopeful and positive person, and very happy. And you can even see it from the picture. So, mm. um. I want to render that story later, and I definitely would like to just just to you know mention a bit a uh, bit to her as well, another fantastic woman, and just cheers to them, cheers to Ernestine Eckstein and to Marsha B. Johnson and to more stories like this. Cheers, cheers. So Trey, do you think I think right now I want to leave it like that for the moment? I'll definitely gonna leave the footnotes from all the information I read about Ernestine Eckstein. And I think we can go uh, on a break unless there's anything else you want to share. No, there's so much. I can't wait to see all your resources and stuff. I'm definitely going to look into her. Thanks very much for sharing. And yeah, let's go on a break. Yeah, let's go and have a drink. Bye, guys. See you in a second. Hi, everyone. We're back. And refreshed after our drinks. And um, it's now on to my part of the podcast episode where I'm going to talk about my woman. So thank you, Priscilla. Delighted. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. And I'm going to learn more. So thank you. And now I'm going to talk about Dr. Camille Wardrop Elaine. She is an aerospace engineer, a space scientist, a rocket designer, a writer, an educational leader, a science ambassador, and an international speaker. Oh my God. Yeah, so she's held many senior kind of technical management positions in NASA. So, um, and uh, she's from Trinidad, Trinidad and Tobago. So yeah, she's just really cool. So she's an aerospace engineer. And so aerospace engineers work on aircraft that can weigh over half a million pounds and on spacecrafts that can travel over 17,000 miles an hour. So they tend to work on planes or or spacecraft or, you know, there's a mix between what you'd be working on. So they basically get these vehicles, machines, crafts to fly faster and further and make them lighter and more accurate is the simple way that I've written it down because I do not have a science background. Yeah. Yeah. So um, she has been front and center of groundbreaking pioneering work in human space flight over the last 25 years. Mm. So the other thing is, is that she's the public at the moment. She's the public face and voice of NASA. So she's the associate program scientist for the International Space Station at NASA's Johnson Space Center. So the International Space station that's out outside orbit yeah and um, so she works in the in the center in nasa and she um she communicates the space center technolo- technological accomplishments and benefits to life on earth to nasa leadership to us wow. congress to general public to scientific research and educational communities and um, she also leads the educational kind of the international educational task group with nasa mm-hmm. as well so yeah. She kind of has more of an educational, communication and leadership role at the moment. Um, And, you know, uh, she also advocates a lot for global education, um, especially girls in STEM. So 
Fantastic. Yeah, so science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Mathematics, yeah. So her, she... Um, love it. Women, girls in STEM, women in STEM. Uh, so she founded the Brightest Stars Foundation in 2007, and it's about educating young women to be future leaders through study of STEM and to create a network of learning institutions dedicated to educating them in scientific and technological fields. So areas where girls and women are underrepresented. Under yeah. Yeah. Uh, so to empower and inspire girls. So that's so this is Dr. Camille uh, Wardrop. And um, the, I think their ultimate goal really is to set up science academies for girls in Africa, the Caribbean and Latin America. So um, she's Caribbean as well. So yeah. uh, she, grew up stargazing and curious about space and how to get there. And she was interested in working in the workings of airplanes as well. So she used to take mm-hmm. things apart and put them back together again. And I think she was about three when Neil Armstrong went up to the moon. So, you know, she's just so curious, this innate yeah. drive about like stars and space, but also could take the things apart. mind. Yeah, and like just take things apart, put them back together, no problem. And her parents really nurtured this about with her and she was very good at building things and they used to like get her to do this at home. And, you know, if anything broke in the house, uh, they would ask her to fix it. And, mm-hmm. you know, cause she just had that brain as well. So they nurtured her interest and they encouraged her to, um, to basically take things apart, put them back together again, which is the opposite of what my parents encouraged. So, um, so she's so she at seventeen or eighteen, she migrated to America to um, to study. So she got a bachelor degree in mechanical and aerospace engineering. She got a master's in mechanical engineering. Then later, she went back and got another master's in aerospace engineering. And then she later then again, she became a doctor of education in educational leadership. So she's very, very accomplished person. So you can see how she and she's very engaging, very like really, really into educating education as 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 a means to bring more girls and women into the field, but also as a means to communicate what's happening with NASA, with the International Space Station and um, how these can for sustainable global development as well, you know, so. So when she finished her degree, she was recruited by NASA to work at the Kennedy Space Center as a flight systems engineer. So I think she was there for about two years and then she went back and after her first master's. So then when she went back and did her second master's then, she was she became an aerospace systems engineer for the missile defense agency under the u.s department of defense so she was working yeah. defense missiles and then she applied for the astronaut program and she was one of the 100 finalists but she didn't make the final 12 list okay. but she was one of the 100 finalists they're selected out of like four thousand or five thousand applicants mm-hmm. so she worked on the orion and the constellation programs so she was like operating and a test and testing equipment that's responsible for ensuring ideal conditions for astronauts and cargo in space shuttles mm-hmm. And she took a lead role in conversation. So she's just kind of her career and, and her her herself, her personal development is just really is always on the up. She's always trying to progress herself. She yeah. so she so, sorry, how many masters she had plus the doctorate? So two masters and a doctor? Or yeah. wow. So, so she's got like, oh, she's got numerous awards as well and accolades and stuff. And, you know, um, she received uh, the National Society of Black Engineers. Um, she received this outstanding woman in aerospace. She's one of the Caribbean's icons in science and technology. So she tends to go traveling around the Caribbean as well, doing talks and oh, running, running um 
kind of space programs and there was one where like she the girls it was a space program for girls and they she hooked up a radio so they could talk to astronauts in real time and stuff you know oh. so that was really really nice so she has so one of the things she has said before is when we empower and inspire girls to believe in themselves and dream big dreams they will be the catalysts for positive and lasting change in their environment their country and the world so she like I I really like that she followed her career she had this passion this curiosity she had this razor sharp brain she loved working on mechanical things and she followed this career she went to NASA like you know she just could not be more in the epicenter of what was going on and I know she has been part of so many projects that have gone to space and she's taken lead roles in those so um she's very very inspiring yeah now the other side of it is of course is that she has a brand and she has she's the face and voice of NASA and she uh you know she's very polished very very much in like you know her doctors in educational leadership very much out there uh, encouraging young people to get involved but also as I said earlier communicating what's happening with the International Space Station with the leaders of NASA etc so she's worked on a lot of uh projects and uh, like she worked as I was saying on uh, the Orion and the Constellation and so like obviously as you know I'm always like triggered by these things so, <laughs> so like the space yeah. mission was uh so just put it into my head and then I like I wasn't really sure what an aerospace engineer kind of does so I was looking that up and that's how I came across her so I was mm-hmm. delighted to come across her um and she's Definitely. very 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 interesting career something I hadn't really thought about before but also I was really really thinking about you know the women in space and women in you know in STEM in STEM and you know there is a there is obviously they're underrepresented as she as she was saying herself but also yeah. like for example like well you know remember we were talking about before um about there was supposed to be an all-female spacewalk that was supposed to occur in October last year, 2019. And they ended up not being able to do it because there were no spacesuits in their size. So the was canceled. So it's kind of like, that was one of the things as well that is is separate to the aerospace engineer women in STEM. That was another thing that really, really, you know, is always in my mind, you know, about, you know I had I've said before the fact that when COVID hit and the COVID payments were given out women who were on maternity leave weren't um they weren't weren't able to apply for them and that's just because they just never thought of women coming back off maternity leave because they weren't at the table and it's the same here there was no there was no spacesuits the right size for women like that how like you know so it's getting like it is getting better obviously like all things which is good but have you ever read the the book Invisible Women no yeah, it's uh, I would highly recommend it but it's uh, about, uh, it's by Caroline Criado Perez and it's about kind of the she just uses pure data like just pure data the whole way through oh, so factual. It's, uh, yeah very factual and it's kind of like you know she raises things like that offices are five degrees too cold for women because the office temperature is based on the metabolic um, rate of a 40 year old man and women's metabolisms are are yeah. slower. So, you know, there's, um you know, so but women weren't in the trial. So they obviously didn't know that. Women are more likely to be misdiagnosed following a heart attack because for heart failure trials use male participants. And cars are developed for the reference man. 
Uh, you know, so women are more likely to be hurt in a car crash and the data out there says men are more likely to crash, you know, you know, the tech that's developed is one size fits men is what she calls it. Um, oh. Like phones too big for our yeah. hands, that kind of thing. And then, um, yeah, so, so like, like techno for of the likes of technology that you will think technology codes, all of this new era of information should be on bias but actually it's very biased from yeah, those exactly. factual reads it's just crazy that to this day that is still happening i think you mentioned in the other episode about your um you were mentioning about how women in um you know for the for in film how uh sometimes they don't even take in consideration when they uh, talk about a person they automatically exactly yeah, they yeah, automatically, automatically a man a, a man <laughs> or they put on a wig yeah. and it's like it's so um, it's so crazy, isn't it? Uh, that you don't yeah. think about those things, but so it is. It is. It exists, and people don't yeah. think about it, as you said. So when world leaders are taking, you know, when they're asking for data for reports, the data is already biased. So That's they're right. making decisions based on biased data. So to tie it back in, it was more yeah. around. On one hand, I was thinking about that all female space, like more women around the STEM, more women, you know, going out to space obviously will mean more spacesuits designed for women. It will, and, you know, and she was one of the few, like the field she's in, Camille is in, is it's like women are just not represented in it. So she, the fact that she has excelled so much there is so impressive. And she's also one of the very few women of color as well so just mm -hmm. to note that as well so yeah. um very very impressive career she's excelled very well in a world that is not designed for her for her and and you know in every shape or form so um and i love all the like i don't know you could see you could google it yourself but i love all the images of her working on you know um doing her like inner inner jumpsuit you know mm -hmm. in like you know there's no gravity and she's working on these she, like she's just like and then you see her in her polished poised kind of look when she's doing you know um interviews because she does a lot of interviews uh with news or with you know that kind of thing about what's going on with that so she's kind of the person who would do those interviews um yeah so you know like when you see both of those you could just really see how a career could take off and then and like i'll share resources about talks she's done but she goes around doing a lot of talks to try and inspire the younger generation to follow it and she's like like i like you know i am where you can be in 20 years you know time so believe that and follow your dreams oh that is i think what is great about these two women uh you know ernestine Eckstein and dr camille yeah uh, i think what is wonderful about them is that both of them are women who well ernestine someone who advocate for civil rights and lgbtqi rights and your woman is basically advocating for education right at the moment. She's advocating for education for women in STEM or girls in STEM who want to have a better future. Uh, and unbeknownst to them, maybe right now, is that unfortunately the world that they want to pursue this, it's not designed for them. And that yeah. should change. Yeah. It's not designed to them. And just like the, this woman in the past, Ernestine, she was fighting for something, considering that her upbringing wasn't designed to her as well. Yeah. yeah it's crazy isn't it that where did you say Ernestine was from again Indiana yeah just from America yeah so would there have been like would she have had like a is is it just that it was a small town kind of culture or you know when she was growing up like it you know it's 
I think from what I read is basically uh, she was not brought upon that. Like she, it it wasn't until she, you know, finished college and, you know, arrived to New York City, which New York City in the 60s was still New York City. So I started learning more about that. And it's just, it, it tells you how towards, in a way, adversity for these two women, how they came from, well, one from Trinidad and Tobago, the other one from maybe a small town in Indiana. And they just, you know... Just decided that they wanted something out, you know, something different from them out there. And I think it's incredible. I, I that's that's the reason why I like to learn more about these stories of this fantastic women. So, yeah. No, so that's uh, that's Dr. Camille Wardrop. I'd actually recommend to people to look up stuff because I because, you know, I could spend the next 20, 30 minutes just playing clips and stuff and um, looking mm. up different things. But also you go down a hole when you start looking up what yeah. aerospace engineering is, you go down, you go down a big hole there as well, because obviously, as I was saying before, I don't have a science background. So it was kind of nice to find out more about that and to find out, like, again, we, we had a conversation before about the behind the scenes, what happened. You know, yes. you have these, the work, the years and years of work and the team it takes to put those people into those spacecrafts, those seven people or whatever, to to send them up or to even try to send them up yes. is insane. And the, yeah. the mega effort that's been made by others to get them there, which I'm sure they're very appreciative of as well. Um, it's just, it's just brilliant. And, you know, keep doing what you're doing. I would say as well that, you know, Camille really believes in, you know, tech and all that kind of stuff and how mm-hmm. it can create economy and careers for, you know, about, um, you know, wants to encourage women to get into these fields, but wants to encourage young people, but women especially, yeah. get into these fields and so they can help their economy. But again, just lo- lots of ways they can help their world. Absolutely. And their planet and possible terraforming of other planets. Ooh. Yeah. So we could be talking about fantastic women and where to find them. We'd be talking about Mars. We could be talking about, you know, terror. Yeah, like, you know, how do we live on the moon? Um, So, you know, there's this fantastic woman on the moon. Um, So, you know, watch this space. Space. Uh, Space. Time. So, um, no, so that's that's it for me on Camille. Uh, Very interesting and a very good career and fair play to her. And I hope she keeps going, keeps going strong. That was amazing. Thank you so much to bring her on the tables. Uh, I, I'm I'm so stoked. I definitely want to hear more about her. And now that you mentioned the other author, uh, I definitely want to learn more about that book, Invisible Women. Was it mm. that? What's that the name? Am I saying it correctly? Invisible, Invisible Women? Women. Yeah. Okay. I, I'll, I'll put the link in the resources as well to just to the book so people I, can have a look. I think that data could be very interesting. So well done for for both of them. Well done for uh, Dr. Camille Wardra. Well done for Ernestine Eckstein. And let's listen to more stories about these women. So, oh my God. So we have been Fantastic Women and Where to Find Them podcast. Um, So uh, we are very happy to announce that we are finally on social media. Yay! Yay! Finally on social media. So you can find us on Instagram as Fantastic Women Pod. And we have a Facebook page named the same way, Fantastic Women and Where to Find Them Podcast. So if you like us, you can definitely subscribe. You can definitely like our page on Facebook. Please follow us on Instagram as well, where we will be posting information related to what's happening right now for women, what's happening right now with the 
basically what's happening right now in say for instance black lives matter we just want to educate ourselves and we just want to you know um bring more information for people to think and for people to educate themselves so just let's be hopeful and let's just spread the knowledge uh, the knowledge that we can gather so definitely we're there and we're also very happy to say that we are on six different platforms right now so you can listen to our episodes uh and apparently there's going to be more platforms isn't it Trey? yep coming soon Perfect. So right now we are on Anchor, we are on Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Radio Public and Spotify. And also, as always, if you want to listen to more stories or if you have any suggestions, if we missed anything about the women we talk in our episode or is there any other fantastic women out there you would like us to talk about, you can email us at fantasticwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Yay! Perfect. Did I say everything, Trey? Is there anything we need to say? No, we're good. I think we're good to go. So let's kick back and we hopefully can listen to more episodes. The next time is Cocktail, uh, it's Trey on Cocktail Duty. So I can't so wait for that. Get one. excited, guys. It's going to be strong. No, I, I don't know. It's I'm always excited. strong at 10 a.m. in the morning on a Sunday. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> no, and I got to finish this cocktail, which is very refreshing. Yeah. And so well for the day in the beautiful weather. Exactly. So cheers to these women and cheers. see you next time, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.